First Samuel chapter 18. I got to roll because I, I practiced on the first service, and so I know I have to figure out how to shorten it a little. Don't panic too much. Friends and frenemies. Does everyone know what a frenemy is? A frenemy, I, I call a frenemy someone that maybe started out as a friend, but then becomes an enemy, or you're not quite sure if they're a friend or an enemy. It goes back and forth. So this, um, this chapter here talks about friendship, and then it talks about frenemy. And another title for my sermon is The True Story of Snow White. You know the story of Snow White, right? The, there's the wicked queen mother, this is stepmother. I tried to see if she had a name. She doesn't have a name. And she, her stepdaughter is Snow White. And the wicked queen mother has a magical mirror. And what does she say to the mirror? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror, of course, always goes, you are, you're wonderful, you're terrific. And this goes on for many years, I guess, until one day, you know, who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror says, Snow White. And the wicked mother, the stepmother goes, ah! Snow White has to die. And, and then she tries to kill Snow White and eventually gives Snow White the poison apple to do her in. Well, that story has got to be based off of the story here in 1 Samuel 18. So let's talk about friendship first. Verse 1, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And they become very good friends. Now, let me just give you age difference here. David is 15 years old. Jonathan's at least 30 years older, if not older. So at 15, Jonathan is 45 years old. But they have this great friendship. And I think the friendship is both of them love God and just they go for it. You remember a couple of sermons ago, Jonathan goes for it with his armor bearer. They crawl up the mountain to the Philistines and then defeat them. Jonathan just steps out to, to move with the Lord. And now David defeats Goliath. They meet each other. They both love the Lord. They both, you know, go for it, and they become very good friends. So I got some things about friends. There are introverts and extroverts. Who has the most friends, introverts or extroverts? Extroverts. How many extroverts, so I have a percentage there. So what do you think? There are more introverts in the United States or more extroverts? There are more introverts. 70% of the country are introverts, 30% are extroverts. So extroverts collect lots of friends, but introverts are like, yeah, I have fewer friends, but they're deeper and, and wider and more meaningful. Young adults generally have more friends than older adults. That's because young adults still have friends from high school, college, the five jobs they're having in five years, all the different places they're moving until they finally kind of settle down. 
They say if you're older than like 50, 60, you haven't made another friend in the last five years. So I don't know. The smarter you are, do you have more friends or less friends? It's actually you have more friends the smarter you are. Don't ask me. So I think how many of us, we have lots of friends. I just want to see who the smart people are. Okay. Yes. How about the richer you are, more friends or less friends? You have more friends. <laughs> but the question is, yeah, do they, are they your friend because you have money or not? Huh, that's a tough one. So which occupations make, the, make friends the easiest? Yeah, salespeople, I would think, but that wasn't the answer. So number one was accountants, which I could not figure out. I'm like, wow. Any accountants here? Do you have lots of friends? No. Yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't think, and I'm, and I'm sure you were an IRS accountant. I wouldn't think you would have many. <laughs> but there, there's an accountant in the first service, Holly. And she says, oh, yeah, we're always dealing with lots of people. So, but believe it or not, number two, and this is just as mind-boggling to me as accountants, is engineers. Yeah. That's the way I am. What? I could just see engineers going, wait a second, you don't have, uh, you have to have all of this and designing your friendship and hmm. So at the bottom, the occupations that are, have the toughest time making friends is medical field and psychologist. And they didn't say pastors, but I was like, I wonder if we're at the bottom. Because we're kind of like counselors and psychologists and stuff like that. So, the number one reason why we lose friends. Yeah, they died. I heard that. Politics. Yeah. So, those are, those are definitely number two and three. The number one reason you lose a friend is one of you moves away. It's very hard to maintain a friendship by Facebook alone. So... I'm going to, this is a part I'm going to skip because I need to, I was going to share, too bad, oh, excellent, all right. So let's get to the story of Snow White. So Jonathan and David are very good friends because they both really love God. But now I'm going to show you how a friend can become a frenemy. And often, there's lots of studies on this, it often occurs when a person becomes envious or jealous. And I'm going to kind of use those two terms interchangeably. I know there is some technical difference between the two, but what percentage of Americans each year are envious or jealous, get envious or jealous of someone else? What do you think? What percentage of Americans each year? Someone said 100%. That's, it is 80%. 80% of Americans get extremely jealous or envy of someone each year. But that also means that there are people who are probably envious and jealous of you. So this sermon is to both groups of people. So I'm going to speak to the 80% of you that are jealous or envy of, envious of someone else, or 
you, you know someone is jealous or envious of you in your life. Now, the young are more envious about two things. What do you think young adults are envious about the most? It isn't money, believe it or not. It is, it is romantic. They get jealous if their friend is romantically successful, they call it. Okay? So, oh, my friend got a girlfriend, and I don't have one yet. Okay, so romantic interest, and what is the second one? The second one is kind of, um, well, I'll tell you what the top two is. The third one, I think, is educational attainment. You know, I've got a master's, I've got a bachelor's, stuff like that. Uh, but the number one is, is looks. People, and that's why, you know, it's, it's kind of funny on Facebook, everyone's snapping selfies, but they're, you know, look at me. I want everyone to tell me how beautiful I am or how handsome I am or whatever. So number one that we get envious, oh, that girl, she's, uh, she's, you know, she's so pretty, she makes me sick and I hate her. Okay. So how about older people? What are they envious about? It isn't health. But now, this, this survey was to older people that were like in their 50s. So I'm thinking health. That's why we're all envious of Margie, I guess. Um, is Margie here? She, yeah. Margie, we all envy you. <laughs> yeah, energy. <laughs> so, um, so let me think. The two things is, is occupational success and finances now and, and money, okay? So number one creator of envy among people is social media. So let's... Let's see the story here of Snow White. Starting in verse 5. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, King Saul sent David on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns. See, the first, it's these women. The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And they danced and they sang, and this is the latest contemporary Christian music. And here's what they're singing. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Okay, now it's... But it is not true. David has not killed tens of thousands yet. He's just a young boy, and he's just starting out. But the women are like, ah! You know, it wasn't, they weren't trying to show disrespect to King Saul. King Saul was more into himself. He's the one looking in the mirror every day going, who's the fairest of them all? Who's the mighty warrior? And the mirror would say, you are King Saul. And he'd be like, I'm going to build another monument for myself which we've seen in the past, okay? But now, these women have kind of, you know, they they must kind of like David. Verse eight, so when Saul hears this, it says Saul was very angry. 
This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Some versions will have he kept a jealous eye on David or an envious eye on David. So King Saul, every, you know, who's the greatest? You are, King Saul, you are. Until one day, King Saul looks at the mirror, who's the greatest? And the women are, David's killed his tens of thousands. And he is angry. So, these are the phases you go through when you become envious or jealous of someone else. Phase number one is in verse eight, Saul is very angry. So when you become jealous or envious of someone, even if they don't mean it, David didn't mean any of this. David's an innocent, but Saul is angry. So, you work at a company. Let's just say you're a salesperson for sake of argument. You've put in 30 years of sales. You know, you're not too bad. You've been around the corner. You, you know, you're the top dog at the company selling things when the new whippersnapper gets hired. And he's only in his 20s, and suddenly he's landed a couple big accounts and doing some amazing sales. And, and everyone at the job is like, wow, this, this kid's amazing. Look at the sales he's getting. And you get angry. You go home to the wife, the husband. You're like, who does he think he is? He just started. I've been in this company 30 years. And, and so he's had a couple lucky breaks, and, and he's sure he made some good commission. But, you know, I know the ropes. I've been here. I've been thinking I'll be the next manager, but the way he's going, they're going to probably make him the manager. Everyone's singing about how great he is. And you with me? So you got that anger going. All right. Now, when you, and you got this jealous envy going. So let me give you a verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Paul writes that in your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger, or you will give the devil a foothold in your life. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. So God says... And just so you understand clearly, jealousy and anger is a, jealousy and envy is a form of anger. Okay? I'm, that girl is so pretty. You're angry. Why am I not pretty? That's pretty. You're angry. Okay? And anger, by the way, leads to murder. Jesus says if you're angry at your brother, you, you know, it's, it leads to trouble. So, God says, you got to take care of it. you got to deal with it during the day. That envy, that jealousy, you got to give it to the Lord. If you don't give it to the Lord and you go to sleep, you give Satan a foothold in your life to influence you. So look what happens with Saul. 
Verse 10. He's angry. He's jealous. Verse 10. What do we read? The next, the next day, he didn't deal with it. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. So what happens when you go to bed angry? You go to bed jealous, envious of someone. Satan has a foothold in your life. He, he was prophesying in his house. So Saul is prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did because they're friends. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him how many times? Twice. So here's what's very strange. It says that Saul, this evil spirit, starts speaking to Saul's mind. And Saul begins to prophesy. Now, the word in the Hebrew is prophesy, but you have to understand, you can prophesy by the Spirit of God, and you can prophesy by a demon. That's why some versions, you'll see number three here, there are some versions, I took this out of Bible, another Bible version, he began to rave in his house like a madman. So that's demonic prophesying. You go to sleep, you're mad, you're jealous about that coworker that landed that big contract. You wake up in the morning and, and you've given the devil a foothold and you go, oh, I'm so mad, I, I need to do, and, and Satan's whispering to you, I gotta undermine him, I gotta cut him down, I gotta show him his place, I gotta, I gotta put him in his place, I gotta get him fired somehow, I gotta, that's Satan whipping you up. That's, that's satanic prophesying of what, you're gonna do to that person because you went to bed angry and now you're giving devil specific access to your mind to like torture you and to, in a sense, drive you mad about that person you're jealous with. And then you start throwing the spears. Demon-empowered spear throwing. So let me see here. Now, all right, let me come back here. So he throws the spears at David. He eludes them twice. And then I want you to see what it says. Verse 12. Saul then was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. So now he's, he's throwing these spears. David's eluding them. And now fear and anxiety start taking place. So you try to kind of throw some spears at this new employee. He eludes them, and he's successful. Now you move into, you are fearful. You have anxiety. Are you going to lose your job? Are you going to lose your prestige? Are you going to, you know, he, he seems kind of, or she, untouchable. Now, we come to two-faced trickery or the frenemy. And this is, to me, this is Snow White with the, I have an apple for you, okay, from the wicked queen. So come down to verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, 
was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was what? Pleased. Hey, that's nice that my daughter loves David. Talk about a frenemy, okay? I will, 21, verse 21, I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. After he killed Goliath, he had the first opportunity, but that daughter wound up marrying someone else. Verse 22, then Saul ordered his attendants Speak to David privately and say, at least in my version, it says, say, look, the king likes you. <laughs> I like you, David. Forget, forget the past of me throwing those two swords at you, or two spears, the spear at you twice. Don't, I actually like you, David. I would like for you to be my son-in-law. Man, the king's had a change of heart. He's, you know. So they repeat at verse 23. So the king likes you to attend. He, he wants you to become his son-in-law. Wow, this is a great friend here. That's the apple. They reported these words to David, but David said, do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. You have to give a dowry to the father-in-law for his daughter. And David's like, man, I don't have any money. I'm poor. There's no way I could marry, afford to marry the king's daughter. So verse 24, when Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, oh, oh, tell David not to worry about money. I tell you what. Just tell David, if he kills 100 Philistines, that will be payment for my daughter. But what is Saul actually thinking? Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. Do you with me? That's a frenemy all the way. That is a frenemy. So, King Saul is, oh, I like you, David. I want you to become my son-in-law. All I want you to do is kill 100 Philistines, but my money's on the Philistines. They're going to kill you and get rid of you once and for all. And then finally, David goes out and actually kills 200 Philistines. And verse 28, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and now he remained his enemy for the rest of his days. So now King Saul and David start out as friends, but now because of jealousy and envy, it goes to anger, jealousy, demon-inspired prophesying, demon-inspired spear-throwing, fear and anxiety, trickery, pretending you're a friend of me, and then finally, it's very clear, Saul is all out his enemy now. In fact, over in chapter 19, for the third time, David becomes his son-in-law. They're having dinner some, one of these days. In verse 9 of chapter 19, but an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. 
While David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. And basically, that's the end of David hanging out with his father-in-law anymore. David kind of finally realizes, this guy is not my friend. He is trying to kill me. All right. Types of spear throwing. So when you get jealous or envy, thank you, Jake. I, I put out a message. I needed a spear. And Jake in the back there, yeah, he says, I got one for you. Now, Jake, to be honest with you, I was expecting a 10-foot, you know, but this, this works. So there's different types of spear throwing. When you get envious and angry, you can, um, I, I know you sold some good contracts, but really you're not that good and, and you would have done better if you had done this and you're never going to be that successful. I don't know. I don't really think this is the right career for you. <laughs> you're, you're trying to do that person in. Angry throwing, blame throwing, criticism throwing, gaslight throwing, insult throwing, accusation throwing, threatening throwing, name calling throwing, ridicule throwing, condensation throwing, and sometimes literal, I am going to kill that person with the spear. People will talk nice to your face, but they will spear you in the back. These are the frenemies. They say that frenemies, so this is a study that... When you are jealous or envy of someone, you on purpose will give them bad advice. Advice to do them in. Hey, the boss really likes it when you give them cats for Christmas. <laughs> You'll get fired because the boss is allergic to cats. Hey, I just studied the stock market. Put your money in this stock. You're going to make it big. <laughs> I know the company's going bankrupt. They have joy criticizing you. Of course, they, you know, they'll, they'll put it in, I'm doing this for your good. I'm, I'm trying to help you out. I'm your friend. Yeah, right. They celebrate your failures. Oh, did your kid just get in trouble at school? Oh, that's, that's tough. <laughs> Oh, he deserves that. She. People will literally hate you for no reason, as they did with Jesus. So Proverbs 27.4. Proverbs 27.4. You're done in 1 Samuel. Proverbs 27.4. Listen to what the Lord says here about jealousy. 27.4, anger is cruel. Oh, man, anger is bad news. It's cruel. Fury. Woohoo! And you're really mad and furious. That's overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? In other words, God's like, anger's horrible. Fury, that's crazy. But none of that compares to a person who's envious or jealous. That's when the spears come out. 
Proverbs 14.30. Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy, jealousy, rots the bones. So I, I wanted to... Um, a heart at peace. So we all wrestle with jealousy and envy, and it's amazing the things we can get jealous and envy about, you know? People that successful, what, whatever. I, I even had to watch it with my own kids. So about 10 years ago, I, I, you know, I was like, okay, I got to wrestle with becoming envious and jealous of people in the church and even my own kids. My own kids in their 20s are being more successful than I am now financially and stuff like that. And I'm like, it's hard to believe you can be jealous of your own kids. But I'm like, wait a second, they're only in their 20s and they're already making more money than me. And I'm, you know, I'm like, ah! I didn't do that with my kids outwardly. You with me? People in the church come up to me and say, Pastor, I just want to share this good news with you. I want you to celebrate with me. I just made a million dollars last week. Thank you for sharing that with me. But I've learned you got to just, so about 10 years ago, I decided, you know, when people tell me this kind of stuff, hey, I just got a brand new, you know, $150,000 car, you know, I just went on vacation to Europe for 60 days and I, I have learned to like, okay. The Apostle Paul says, I've been content in any and every situation. And just God will bless us. He takes care of us. And to just learn to truly rejoice with that individual. And, and I have found that 10 years later, I can honestly tell you that I can rejoice and I'm happy when other people are wildly successful or great things are happening in their life. And it's very freeing to just be at peace with who you are, what you look like, what gifts you have, where God has you in life, and since this is all so temporary anyway. So I want to talk to you a little bit about... Um, oh, wait, I'm going the wrong way. How to deal with spear throwing. So, you'll notice that Saul threw the spear at David how many times? Three times. And, and what did David do? He eluded. He, you know, he eluded the spears. He kept on moving. So, I kiddingly, when I was thinking about this sermon, you know, my creative juices go, I was, I was thinking about you got to keep moving to elude the spears. And so in ministry, I don't, this, this is a true statistic here. So there are many men that go into ministry, women, um, and they go through four years of college, they go to seminary, and they get into the first church. How many people make it in ministry after five years? And the answer is 80% of those who go into ministry quit before five years is up. Only 20% of people in ministry make it past five years. You with me? So after all that college and training, because college and seminary are nothing like being in an 
actual church, um, 80% are knocked out of ministry. So um, when I was in the district, I would get a call every so often from, and it was usually the younger pastors who had gotten speared. And they would say, come, Joe, to, to my church. I'm, I'm done. I'm over. I'm quitting. I'm not taking another church. I'm going back to teaching, whatever else. And, and so I would come to their church, and they'd be there with the spear right through their heart into the wall of the church. Now, you know I'm talking analogy, right? So, now, again, I don't know your occupations and your careers. I don't know how you would get speared. But here's the interesting thing about pastors when they get speared. Do you think the spear came from the, the crazy sinners out there in the world? No, it didn't come from them. Who do you think speared the pastor? The con people in the congregation, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, understand something. Sometimes young pastors do stupid stuff, okay? But, and sometimes my kid did stupid, my kids, six of them, did stupid stuff, all right? And instead of spearing them, I would talk with my kids and say, let's talk this through. Let's talk this out and see if we can work this out. For pastors, it's like, hey, maybe this isn't a good fit at our church. Let's work together for a transition. There's just nice ways to do it. But for whatever reason, I, I don't anger, jealous, whatever, the pastors get speared by the very people that should be their brothers and sisters. I, I, I'm, I'm giving this warning a little bit because we have two young men preparing for ministry, Thomas and Jonathan. And I'm like, I know what it's like when you're young. They're inexperienced. They're going to do stuff that's ridiculous that they should never do. They're going to say things that's, oh, why are you, oh, why are you saying that? And now we have a choice, says the older congregation. Ah! You know, and we can eliminate them right out of ministry, okay? But don't do it. So Pastor Paul Cope, he's lasted a long time. And is he in here? Okay, he was at the first service. So I said to Pastor Cope, through your 50 years of ministry, have you been speared? Has anyone thrown spears at you? What do you think? Yes. yes. You, now you understand why Pastor Cope is like the energizing bunny. <laughs> do you notice he can't sit still? Because he's always dodging spears. You get good. I, I like dodgeball. Dodgeball helps you in ministry, you know, to learn to, okay, come on, come on. So, but Pastor Cope actually said in the first service, he said, actually, Joe, it's the elders who would take the spears for me. I was like, yeah. I like the elders. You here? <laughs> but I do want to share that sometimes, so keep, 
You know, once you know what the Lord has for your life, keep running. People are going to throw spears at you. Just keep going forward. Keep moving. The Holy Spirit will give you direction. Keep blessing. Keep, don't, all of David's life, even though King Saul is constantly out to kill him, David is always constantly honoring King Saul, blessing him. You know, don't, don't keep eluding the spears. But every so often, a spear is going to land. It's going to hit your heart. And when that happens, here's the verses that I think about. So I think about Calvary. And this is an interesting story, and I want to give you a different little perspective on this one. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. They, they were still alive. They broke their legs so that they would die. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already what? So what do they know about Jesus, the soldiers? That he is already dead. He's already dead. And they know he's dead because once you're dead, I told you, you have to push yourself up every single breath to take on the cross. Once you're dead, you aren't pushing yourself up anymore. So they know he's dead. But Satan comes to one of the soldiers. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. So I want you to understand that I, Robin and I were watching a detective show on TV. And it was called, the, uh, I, I don't know what it's called, but it was a crime of passion. This woman was very upset at this man. So she shoots him with her gun, and he's dead. She knows he's dead. But she goes over to the dead person now, and she keeps firing the gun into him until the gun is empty. The detectives come, and they, they figured out that the guy got killed with the first bullet, but all six bullets are in him. And so the detectives go, this is a crime of passion. Do you understand that? Satan knew that Jesus was dead on the cross. But it was a crime of passion. And Satan took the spear. He's the author of spear throwing. And Satan was, Jesus is already dead, but Satan was like, ah, take that! Right into the heart of Jesus. He knows he's already dead, but it was like, Satan, I've wanted to do this, and ah, that goes to their spear. You might think the Roman, that Roman was inspired to stab the Son of God right in the heart. So then I think, what is this prophetic of? In Isaiah 53, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So, I just want you to know that sometimes the spirit lands in my heart. 
There are Christians who literally are walking around with spears in their hearts. And by the way, if you let a spear in your heart, you will become a bitter person. You will become bitter. So you've been speared. And often it's by someone that's close to you. You know, <laughs> you thought they were friends or relatives or... So I've been speared. And when I get speared, I, I want to quit. I want to give up. I want to, you know... But here is my advice. In Jesus Christ, Jesus knows what it's all about. He was speared right in the heart from the devil. You ask Jesus to pull the spear out. And you'll notice because he was speared that he brings healing. By his wounds, we are healed. And so I have found that when you pull the spears, let Jesus pull the spears out, that there is healing. I got to end. So two things. As I was addressing two different people. Two. You, because you're envious and jealous of someone else, you are a spear thrower. So I am challenging you to stop being a frenemy. Stop being a frenemy. Stop throwing spears. Stop conniving where you're like, I'm going to look like a friend, but I want to undermine them. I want to do them in. You need to repent of spear throwing. You are letting Satan speak to you. You're letting Satan energize you to throw the spears at people. 80% of us are envious and jealous. When you feel those feelings coming over you, you need to repent and give it to the Lord before the sun goes down on that day. The second group of people I want to speak to is those of you that have been speared, that you have been on the other side, and you don't even know why. You, like, I didn't do anything to that person. I don't know why they're spearing me in my heart. I, I don't get it. I don't, you know. But you have these spears. Let Jesus remove them and bring healing to your heart. Father, um, worship team can come. Father, may you speak to us as we go through life and, and sometimes we're the ones that throw the spears, and other times we're the ones that get hit with the spears. But Lord, um, I pray you would deliver us, in both cases, deliver us from being fake friends, from being frenemies. Help us to rejoice when people are blessed. Father, bring healing. Pull out the spears that are in many of our hearts. Remove them and bring healing. Bring deliverance from the bitterness we feel, the hurt, the pain. Remove those spears from our heart. Protect us. Holy Spirit, help us to elude the spears of angry people jealous people. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.